Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. Joining me is Ashia, the greatest co-host, Yolmita. Is she from heaven? Is she from... (laughs) (laughs) May I introduce you, as always, Lydia. Zounds! Isn't that the monstrous kind thing of you to say? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Hi! Hi! (laughs) How are you today? Good God, I'm just fabulous, man. And yourself? Um... (laughs) I can't think of a word. (laughs) I have a cheat sheet. (laughs) Oh, smart you. I thought ahead. What? (laughs) Nice. Yes, I'm sorry. As much as I probably should be talking talking foppish during this show. Foppishly. What a dandy. (laughs) Sink me if I don't have every one of them written down. Oh, very nice. Very clever you. Oh, thank you. Cursed if I won't be the best little swearer in the whole... All right. (laughs) How unladylike. I know. It was monstrous rude of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Zounds, woman. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes. Oh, my Lord. This This is my favorite era of slang ever. (laughs) fun well we'll definitely get into that but before we go any further i want to first thank everyone for tuning in and make sure they know that they can subscribe to this show via apple Podcasts, stitcher radio google play spotify i think we're on iHeartRadio now you can also follow us over at podchaser.com and whatever podcast app you choose just search for orphaned entertainment and we should be there for you Wherever you listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. We have a Facebook group that you can join. Go to Facebook.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Again, just search for Orphaned Entertainment, and there you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the podcast. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, Please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links, in case you didn't write them down, are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. And I never really realized how many times I had to say orphaned entertainment through, those, through that <laughs> Sounds. whole intro. <laughs> uh, I also want to remind folks that we're still looking for an original script for a five-minute mystery. We get a good script here. Lydia and I will produce it. And I think that would be a lot of fun, but we have had no entries so far. Anyway, get your creative uh, thinking caps on and send us something. For a little inspiration, let's go ahead and listen to an original five-minute mystery and a promo for another fine podcast. And when we return, we will discuss the 1934 film, The Scarlet Pimpernel. Another five-minute mystery. Thank you. 
Okay, okay. Homicide Division, Inspector Nichols speaking. Oh, Ralph Dean. The guy that backs all those nightclubs with his dough? Where? Right. I'll be there in ten minutes. So, you two are Thomas and Gerald Klein. That's right, Inspector. We're brothers. Where's the body? That's right, fellas. The coroner'd like to make his examination as soon as possible. Uh, it's in this next room. You see, uh, we're both bachelors, and we have our living quarters here above the nightclub. Right in here, Inspector. <clears throat> Not much of a mess. Mustn't have been a struggle. There wouldn't be much blood in a death like this. Death was too instantaneous. As we said, Inspector, Dean came at Thomas and me and asked if he could come up here to talk over a business deal with this Johnson fellow. Dean had put up the money for his club, too, but Johnson wasn't cutting in with enough dough. Was Dean financing your club, too? Why, yes. But uh, to get back to the story, Inspector, uh, Dean and Johnson came up here to this room. After about half an hour, Thomas and I heard two shots. We happened to be in the kitchen just below here. We ran right up, but Johnson had beat us. But not before he stopped to plant my necktie in Dean's hand to frame us. Make it look like I killed Dean. How about that necktie in the victim's hand, Coroner? It looked as though Dean ripped it off the neck of his killer. See, Johnson's a smart operator. He knew it would look that way. Can you remove the tie from his hand, Coroner? Yes, if you want me to break his hand. It's a case of cadaveric spasm, Inspector. Dean has a death clutch on it, and the only way you'll remove it is by breaking the hand. Johnson must have gone up into our wardrobe, grabbed one of Gerald's ties, and torn it. Then put it into Dean's hand and forced the fingers around it. Yeah. Johnson was jealous of our business and was double-crossing Dean, so he thought this would be a way to kill two birds with one stone. He killed Dean and planted suspicion on us. Might as well store your alibi, boys. Johnson had nothing to do with this. Gerald, you fired the fatal shots as your brother Thomas stood by and watched. I'm arresting both of you for Dean's murder. Do you know what evidence proves Gerald pulled the trigger? In one minute, we'll be back with the solution. But first... Okay, you know what it's like. You're flicking through Amazon or the local DVD shop when suddenly you discover a film that you haven't seen in years but which you remember as being legendary. The purchase is hastily made. You invite friends over, make popcorn and settle down to watch this classic then it becomes apparent that your mind has double-crossed you and that this film is frankly awful. Soon your friends have deserted you, your boss says he has to let you go, and even your dog won't come when you call. How did it go so wrong? Well, in the interests of public harmony, a new podcast I saw that years ago sets out to watch the old films that your memory has convinced you are brilliant, but which in reality could be anything but. So join me, your host Martin Darkley, and my compatriot, Gentleman Joe, as we watch the old films so you don't have to. Find us at www.isawthatyearsago.com or on iTunes. Now back to the inspector and his explanation. Johnson couldn't have planted that necktie, Gerald. That tie of yours in Dean's hand is the clue proving your guilt. As you walked close to him and shot, he grabbed at you, caught hold of your tie, and in falling, tore the tie off. When a person dies suddenly, as did Dean, they often clutch tenaciously as to whatever happens to be in their hands. Their fingers are set in an unmovable grasp. In that case, it's a medical impossibility for anyone to place something in the victim's hand and cause that dead hand to grasp it as tightly as Dean has your tie. 
That clue in Dean's hand is going to be worth two killers in the electric chair. Pimpernel is a British adventure film directed by Harold Young and stars Leslie Howard, Merle Oberon, and Raymond Massey. The film was based on the 1905 play by Baroness Orzi, or Orczy? Mm-hmm. Emushka Orczy. Say that again. <laughs> Emushka Orczy. I had Amushka. to look up the pronunciation, but Emushka. Oh, bar- so it's Baroness Mushka Orczy. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Baroness. It- and also the 1908 novel of the same name that was uh, written by Mushka Ortzi. <laughs> <laughs> the plot revolves around a British aristocrat who leads a double life as he risks his life to rescue French nobles from Robespierre's guillotine during the Reign of Terror, which is a very dark period post the French Revolution. Following the creation of the First French Republic, a series of massacres and numerous public executions took place and thousands of former nobles lost their lives. This period ran from sometime in 1792 or 3 and ended with the fall of Robespierre in 1794. In that short span, nearly 17,000 official death sentences had been dispensed throughout France. Now, as far as the stars of this film, I believe we may have discussed Leslie Howard when we reviewed Of Human Bondage Mm -hmm. back in December of 2015, and... I was amazed that it was that long ago mm-hmm. <laughs> that well. we talked about that. I remember talking about that movie, and you're like, five years ago? <laughs> Holy cow. And I know we talked about Raymond Massey uh, one year ago when we talked about mm-hmm. Santa Fe Trail. It's actually kind of amazing that that was one year ago already. Yes. <laughs> we have not yet met the talented and beautiful Merle Oberon. Estelle Merle O'Brien Thompson was born in Bombay, British India, on 19th of February, 1911. So happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, the, this is the day. I couldn't believe it. I, I looked that up and looked her up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's the day we're going to be recording. We're recording. <laughs> she was given the nickname Queenie in honor of Queen Mary, who was visiting mm-hmm. India along with King George V in 1911. Oberon arrived in England for the first time in 1928. Initially, she worked as a club hostess under the name Queenie O'Brien and played in minor and unbilled roles in various films. Her film career received a major boost when the director Alexander Corda took an interest and gave her a small role under the name Merle Oberon as Anne Boleyn in The Private Life of Henry VIII. Oberon's career benefited from her relation with, and later marriage to, Corda. It was her success in The Scarlet Pimpernel that brought her to the United States to make films for Samuel Goldwyn. She would be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress one year later for her performance in The Dark Angel. She was selected to star in Corda's 1937 film I, Claudius as Messalina, but injuries she sustained in a car accident resulted in the film being abandoned. 
She fortunately recovered and would go on to appear as Kathy in the highly acclaimed 1939 film Wuthering Heights, mm-hmm. opposite Laurence Olivier. She remained active in Hollywood nearly, nearly her entire life, and her final film appearance was in 1973's Interval. She retired after that and passed away at the age of 68 after suffering a stroke in 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a lot of interesting backstory that I didn't get into about her and her uh, her parentage. It's worth looking up. Just a, a brief thing. She was apparently the daughter of a very young woman. She tried to kind of keep hidden most of her life. It only came out much later, uh, the circumstances of her birth. But Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, if you're at all curious, it's worth looking up. It wasn't anything I really wanted to dig in too deep here because it's just kind of – it kind of gives you that sort of uh, icky, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, it's not what this podcast covers. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so here we are at the Scarlet Pimpernel. This, I have to admit, I was expecting – you know, it's described as an adventure film. I was expecting a little bit more adventure. <laughs> Let's start with talking about the, the cast a little bit more. Leslie Howard, like we said, we talked about him so long ago. <laughs> uh, and so I think this is the first time we've seen him since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was fantastic in this. He did that really great uh, dual role kind of thing. Although most of what we see is him as his sort of, uh, as, as he's called in this film, a fop. <laughs> which is just uh, I, I love that that term it's so much fun to say too it's even though it was kind of regarded as sort of a derogatory term it's just someone <laughs> it would be someone that we would maybe call like um oh maybe like an extreme metrosexual or something <laughs> He's, would, well there, there was actually a term at this time so let's start a little bit with background this takes place uh in starts in 1792 of course as we see at the opening 1792 is of course the french revolution which started i think in 1789 um but is smack in the middle of or smack the beginning of the regency period and most of this movie takes place in england well guess who's a massive jane austen fan it's not Christopher. It's me. So, <laughs> so I know a freakish amount about this uh, the, about this era that is just a fluke that I happen to know a lot about. But I loved it because it started off with this movie, and of course, you meet Sir Blakeney early on. And I was like, ah, okay, whatever, not that interested. And then he starts doing this character, and I was cracking up. I was <laughs> laughing so hard because he is he is the foppest fop that ever fopped a fop. He's so foppy. There's actually a term. This is where the term dandy came from. And it was a, a Brit- typically British gentleman that, like, all they had to do all day was buy clothes and hit on women. And of course, since there were lots of gentlemen's clubs, they developed this ridiculous slang. And the best known dandy during this era everybody's heard of was Bo Brummel. So they took Bo Brummel and they t- they made Sir Percy Blakeney Bo Brummel. In this movie, he's even the best friend of the Prince Regent who became, uh, or uh, the, sorry, the Prince of Wales who became the Prince Regent, thus the Regency era. And, um, and he, really his character in this is exactly what Bo Brummel really was in real life. He was the best friend of the Prince, told him how to dress. Everybody loved him until, like, everybody, admired his clothes and 
you know, chased him around until he made the prince mad and then he got completely ostracized and kicked out of society. Oh. <laughs> so if you hear this, the song from Annie where they say, your clothes may be Bo Brumley, they stand out a mile. That's this dude. Ah, Bo Brummel is the guy that started the really high fashion for men. And oh, it's interesting. It's super interesting. <laughs> I just happened to have watched a documentary on this like a month ago. Uh, oh, wow. Perfect so timing. Sorry for the massive overload of information, but I found it so much fun to get to see all this happening in this era. The men's fashion in this is absolutely worth watching, and it's spot on for the era. The women's fashion we'll talk about once we get to Lady Blakeney. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you know a little bit something about it because it's something I've, I'm always curious about when you see period pieces like this at this time and the way that they dress and the, you know, the tights, the uh, the, the puffy, <laughs> the, the 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 sleeves, the uh, the cuffs, yes, uh, the, and then the, of course the collars, <laughs> oh yes, that come up and they're like beyond the height of their head in some cases. <laughs> yes. Little known fact about Lydia, I'm actually super interested in historical costuming and have made some of my own historical outfits. Well, I'm currently researching a Regency dress. So that's how I ended up knowing so much about this. The men's clothes are very close. Um, so what you see Good. them wearing, even though the story was written 100 years after the French Revolution by Ortzi, the when they went into the production for this, you see the men wearing the kind of polished flats shoes and all of that. That's that's absolutely spot on. Hmm, interesting. Good. Yeah, it's, it's something that I'm always curious about how close they really get. You know, or or do they kind of flamboyant up a little bit to make it more of a spectacle on screen? You would think um, so. But in this case, because there's so much known about fashion of the era because of Bo Brummel, they actually did a really good job. Nice. I guess even back then, it really was about the uh, spectacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the people wanted to stand out. I mean, it was sort of that. That's the, the sign of their, of either their wealth or their um, their status. Their, yeah, the status mm-hmm. symbol, I suppose. The, the nicer the clothes, the higher up the chain yep. you were, kind of thing. And that's actually a lot of what led to the French Revolution. Mm. And it's interesting because you see it when you're watching the movie. The people in England are dressing this way. And the people that you're seeing led to the guillotine are dressed this way. But all of the peasants aren't. Right. And it's the citizens of the France. The citizens. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, even you see even the the servants on the London side of the screen are dressed very well. But all That's what of, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it a real interesting uh period in which to place a film with a character like this and it's like you're kind of wondering well who's the good guys really here i mean (laughs) we are talking about the revolution that that, you know france has overthrown their king Mm -hmm. uh the creator republic yep yes and so it's like okay you know viva la revolution uh, that kind of thing (laughs) Uh, but these people that are being led to the guillotine aren't Many of them aren't guilty of anything other than just being born into 
into uh, a wealth. wealthy life. And that's uh, exactly, born into nobility. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I did a little bit of research on Ortsy out of curiosity. I was really hopeful that she had written during this time period, but she actually did write it 100 years after the end of the revolution. Right. However, her parents, who were Hungarian, fled Hungary in the 1860s, so 60, 70 years after the French Revolution, because they were afraid a revolution was going to break out in Hungary. And so mm. here's a woman that is writing about this. She didn't live in it in the time period, but about 60 years after the French Revolution, she moved to London. And her parents lived in fear of this very thing happening. And, and it is very interesting because most of the literature, I think, has a tendency to kind of glorify the republic side of this, the citizen side of this. And here you have a woman writing about how these wealthy people are, are really very innocent. They, mm-hmm. they, they didn't even see it coming. And early on in this, in the film, we hear that it's a detourney, I think, is who it is. It's Count Detourney saying, Thank heaven for the game of chess. It enables us to forget the more disagreeable realities of life. I'm not so sure it is a good thing. We've been too detached from reality all our lives. That's what caused the revolution. Possibly. Undoubtedly. If we'd only had eyes to see our own follies, we shouldn't be here now, waiting to be shaved by the national razor. So it is interesting that it's written from the perspective of the innocent wealthy, which mm-hmm. is not a very popular, uh, it's not a popular message then, and it's certainly not a popular message now. I did appreciate the, uh, or found it certainly very interesting that they are sitting around waiting for their names to be called to be taken to the guillotine and when their names are called it's kind of like oh well okay off we go and it's just it's very oh this is why this is what's going to happen there there was no there's no fighting there's no really there's no crying there's no begging it's like they are uh, definitely keeping the the stiff upper lip Mm -hmm. maybe kind of thing yes there's that that level to be kept at so the children are playing and this is interesting i i went out of curiosity and watched the 82 remake of this movie i'm sure i'll talk about it but um in it it starts off very grim but in this one you have all of these people in prison and the kids are playing you know skipping in circles and the women are you know doing their hair and the men are playing chess you know and then when their names are called it's like okay you have to put your hat on though you're not just going to get up and go and leave your hat there because right. you're still presenting uh, a of bra- more than a brave front you're showing the level you're at Mm-hmm. which is in this era everything that's everything in your life it wouldn't have occurred to them not to put their hat on to go outside <laughs> right and i like the uh the other side of things where we we see the crowd around the guillotine mm-hmm. and you know it's in the town square and everyone gathers around and you've got all the women doing their knitting mm-hmm. while they watch and they'll 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 knit 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 until they hear the uh the, the guillotine start to fall and they'd stop and watch and mm-hmm. ah, they cheer and then they go knit 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 mm-hmm. and yeah it, that's where you've you've kind of some of the darkness sets in mm-hmm. about what is really going on it really paints the revolutionaries as villains. Yes. It's very blatant about that. And that's what made me have to look up Ortsy and see, okay, where did the where is the author coming from? What's the history on this person? And when you read her parents were aristocrats, it makes sense. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the French Revolution, I think it's a very interesting time period. Certainly, I'm sure France, you know, France thinks it's so. <laughs> um, but, but because, you know, you understand the idea of a, a nation overthrowing a king. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the United States here is... 20 you know, years kind of, earlier, yeah. Kind, kind of known for it. There's that where you, you take it just a step too far. You know, <laughs> it's not so much that you overthrow the king, uh, but then that you decide that Everybody, well, in his everybody class should be killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think that's where it doesn't take long before the people start going. You know, maybe this isn't a good idea. But it happens, uh, or, or maybe when it, it's. I think Robespierre probably he was the one that kind of kept going a little too far and went beyond just oh these people anybody that would possibly look or speak the wrong way or at the new government kind of thing mm-hmm. is, is now a threat to the government. And so that's when it started actually affecting maybe people, not nobility, you know, it starts working its way down that food chain mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of feeding the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and then of course, so now, now then people had to overthrow Robespierre. Well, and you see it later with the Russian revolution too. Yeah. Where, you know, we're like, okay, there's one person. We don't like the way they've been running things. But then it just balloons and balloons. Mm-hmm. Careful, America. So, <laughs> uh, I'm so going to be the first one on the guillotine here. Anyway, <laughs> not wealthy enough, but it doesn't matter. Um, oh, my gosh. Cut that part. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to go political suddenly. That's not what this podcast is about. No. <laughs> Talking of Robespierre and... Mm-hmm. Uh, really his counterpart in this really although Robespierre is mentioned a lot in this the real villain of this movie is Chauvelin played by Raymond Massey Raymond Massey again best bad guy ever his face is brilliant (laughs) my dear Chauvelin I'm very sorry that I had to ask you to undertake the journey from London but this matter of the Scarlet Pimpernel has become a national menace how can you expect me to detect him in a country that hates us like the devil and puts every obstacle in my way? We expect you to overcome obstacles, like our generals in the field. They know that to lose the battle means the guillotine. Have you any plans? Naturally. We may assume that the Scarlet Pimpernel and his gang speak perfect French. They belong, therefore, to a class that has been brought up by French nurses and French tutors. So far, not bad. I have a list of all the likely names. I have them watched day and night. Sooner or later, I draw the net. Am I mistaken, or is he... Maybe he's just one of the few Frenchmen we actually hear speak, but was he the only one that was attempting any sort of an accent in this film? (laughs) There are definitely a couple of people with accents in the film. Whether they mean to have accents or not, I'm not sure. I couldn't quite tell why there was just moments the way he would speak it was just why are you talking like that <laughs> because no one else is <laughs> but you're right most of the uh, events take place in england and everyone of course has you know the british accent <laughs> that's much. fine of course and so i'm thinking was he trying to put on some sort of french accent and uh, but was i don't think anyone else was doing it um uh lady blakeney 
played by Merle Arboron, was supposed to be a French woman. And certainly, I love the bit where she says, you forget, I'm a French lady. Perfect English. (laughs) No trace of accent. So I have to talk with these, moving her hands, as well as this, pointing at her mouth. But (laughs) she doesn't sound like a French woman at all. Exactly. So yeah, so every time Raymond Massey came on the screen and talked the way he did, it was just like, hmm. And did, I, did no I one did no think... one like say, you know what, don't do that. <laughs> well, I almost think that's a little bit of just his natural, the way he speaks naturally, because I, mm. I, I feel like that's just how he talks. Like I expected him to talk like that. I and don't I, remember him talking that way back in the the, the in uh, Santa, Santa Fe, Fe Trail. Trail. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, he and then also um, Armand both had very marked accents at points, hmm. but nobody else did. Maybe it was just because Raymond Massey has that voice. He certainly does. That you, I mean, the other guy, I could probably tell you, I probably couldn't tell you what anything he said, but Raymond Massey, when he speaks, you listen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I love the introduction of him, too, because they say, you know, oh, something, something about Chauvelin, and then they say, Monsieur Chauvelin, you know, is here, and and he walks in, and all he does is walk in, and you know he's the bad guy. All yeah. they do is show his face. That's he's He's wonderful that way. I'm very sorry that Raymond Massey passed away before uh, books on tape began. Became oh, a thing. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I keep, there are a couple of points when I'm watching this and he, I had to go check and see if they're related because in this movie, he is like the spitting image of James Frayne as V4, V4 in, uh, uh, I almost said the prisoner's end. That's not right. He's in the prisoner's end, but it's not in the Count of Monte Cristo in the 2002 version. The guy oh, that okay. plays Viafor is James Frayne, and if you look at him next to Raymond Massey, oh, they just—they're both so right there. They're just sort of the bad guy. They just walk in and they're the bad guy. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> but I love it. He here he is, Chauvelin, not not James Frayne, Chauvelin. and he's just immediately evil and he's just all evil like there's no sympathetic part of his character at all no and he's a commanding presence like you said he walks into the room and yes you know he's the bad guy but you he you you get the feeling that he's the type of man that walks into a room and everybody knows he walked into that room (laughs) because there's a sudden chill yeah (laughs) everybody shivers and pulls their collars up (laughs) yeah that's why they all wear the high collar that's why you have to put on your cravat or you're gonna freeze to death in his presence yes Uh, but yes, Villefort, uh, Villefort, look at, I just did it. Yep. <laughs> Chauvelin, sorry, <laughs> uh, is of course desperately seeking the Scarlet Pimpernel mm-hmm. and has a little hold on Lady Blakeney to try and get a, to try and get him. Actually, let's talk about the relationship between Lady Blakeney and, and, uh, Sir Blakeney. I love their relationship. I, I, I was, do, I, like, too. As soon it was as he, so interesting. As soon as he becomes foppish, I couldn't stop watching this movie. He, mm. it, it went from being just a typical black and white kind of romantic adventure movie to being the most interesting character in any story I've ever seen. Yes. He, he is this, we already know he's this intelligent man. We already know he's the leader of these rebels. And then he is this, ridiculous fop at the gentleman's club clearly putting on a personality and then he walks into the room where his wife is 
and he's still a fop. And mm-hmm. it's like, my brain just exploded. Wait, what? This doesn't happen in movies from this time period. This doesn't happen in stories from this time period. And oh, I like the brilliant. reasons why, because we find out through a little bit of dialogue that she maybe, and well, we find out much later that she was more or less tricked into it, but she like gave names. She is the cause of the death of the first family that died at the guillotine. Exactly. Which is and, and, horrific. And Sir Blakeney, you know, finds out about this. And from that moment, he just, he doesn't want anything to do with her. He can't. But he, oh, yes. He loves her. And he's married to he her. But he can't stand her. <laughs> yeah, uh, It was just a real. And so he, he has to maintain this relationship. And, you know, he keeps her at arm's length. You know, uh, all these is, years, while while, and I, you, I kind of get the feeling too that this may have been what kind of pushed him into doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. This is, and I love this so this whole interaction between them. Like she has this look of disdain every time he opens his mouth because this is the dumbest, most vapid, most shallow man she has ever heard speak. Mm -hmm. And she just is disgusted by him. But then once they're alone, she says, we used to be happy. What happened? Why aren't we happy anymore? You know, it's, I didn't do anything wrong. And he says, didn't you? And she's like, well, you changed. It's like, right. Um, yes, she doesn't know why he he do, why he has done this to her. Why he suddenly has no interest in her, and he's never told her. But I love this because every time she looks at him, he is this sop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then as soon as she looks away, and she's become like she's you know sad, she's upset, she doesn't know what's wrong, and he immediately just melts. And he Darcy's her. It's what he does. He totally Darcy's her. <laughs> <laughs> he looks at her the way that Colin Firth looks at Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I've never seen it before. I've never seen it anywhere else. And, and he can't help touching her hand. He can't help wanting to reach out to her because he still loves her so much. And then the second she looks at him, he has to go back into this character because he doesn't trust her. It's oh, it's heart wrenching. It's so good. It, it, this is what makes this movie. And I, I love the um, the very idea of the uh, well, for lack of a better term, for the term to use the terminology of the film, the fop, <laughs> who is secretly this um, genius, <laughs> this genius, and this you know that this guy that's out to uh, to, to to save the innocents and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably one of the first times we see a character like this it's credited this, as being the introduction of this, yeah, the hero this, with the secret identity this predates zorro mm-hmm. it predates, oh, by far well zorro comes in about another decade later mm-hmm. uh so that's probably the next the next one you see and zorro i think you could say is definitely a a definitely a take off of the scarlet pimpernel oh yes without a doubt i mean it's almost the exact same plot Mm -hmm. you know it's the it's the the rich aristocrat Mm -hmm. or the you know just the 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 wealthy individual who risks everything to go off to help the innocent Mm -hmm. um but then from there you you take it off to the uh the shadow the phantom robin uh, hood though again uh, robin hood batman all come off and they're all i think owe a lot to the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, yes, definitely. That's interesting. I'd be very curious to know if the stories about Robin Hood precede 
the Scarlet Pimpernel or not. It's not something I made a connection of. I have to look that up. Yeah, I did not uh, notice of Robin Hood, but I knew no. Zora was the first one I thought of, and mm-hmm. I had to look at that because I knew that was a fairly old property. Mm-hmm. But no, that actually came about a ten years later, mm-hmm. ten almost fifteen years later. Interesting, and certainly, even yeah. though Robin Hood is a similar type of character, he he's not a secret. He doesn't have a, a secret identity. And That's true. He's he he an lost his, his wealth. Yes, right. Yeah, he so, lost yeah. his nobility and. So still not the same thing. Take arms, so it's not exactly the same. No, so yeah, this is I, as far as I know, it is a un, it's it's the first of its kind, and it's fabulous. <laughs> you can tell I hate this. I hate this story. The story itself is just so great. So I guess we should get back to talking about the film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a wee bit, a little, a little, bit. a little. So, they, but no, but the, Leslie Howard does that this this dual persona. Although we don't see amazing. him as, yeah, we see him mostly as Sir Blakeney. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are times where he can just he just switches it off yes. and becomes the Scarlet Pimpernel. And like you said, suddenly he's very well spoken. He's, you know, standing bolt upright. He's giving orders. He's very intelligent. Uh, Whether he's talking to other men in his little Mm -hmm. uh, rebellion. I don't know what you want (laughs) to... His Freedom. His, yes. Uh, Band of merry followers. (laughs) Right. Or... uh, has you know learned the the the, the skills of disguise mm-hmm. uh he dresses up as an old hag at one point mm-hmm. um and to to rescue a few people and yeah he does all these personas so well and i i think you know kudos to leslie howard for being yes. able to pull that off i think that that's one of the reasons it's so it's so enjoyable is because we're used to seeing him as you know as ashley in gone with the wind as you know this kind of proper english i mean you know obviously he's not supposed to be english and gone with the wind but he's he is very much this kind of proper english guy and so when you see him as this you know is this dandy is this like like kind of miserable human being but mm-hmm. so convincingly i love the way he speaks and now tell treadle what's what's wrong with this coat <laughs> back is admirable the front's fair. The collar is uh, possible. But the sleeve, Treadle. The cuff, my poor benighted friend. That, Sir Percy, is the last word in cuffs. Oh, Gad, I should hope so, for there should never be another like oh. <laughs> oh, come now, it's, it's, it's not too bad. You see, Sir Percy, His Royal Highness approved. My poor Treadle, His Royal Highness does nothing of the kind. He says it's not so bad. And nothing in the world is so bad as something which is not so bad. But suppose... No, it's a crime, Treadle. Worse, a blunder. And quite, quite fatal to my reputation. Why to your reputation? Because all the world knows that His Royal Highness is guided by my taste. Yes, yes, yes. Percy is an expert on, on coat. And, and riches, sir. I, I'm a very wonder with the inexpressibles. Isn't that so, Treadle? Well, yes. Uh, up to a point. Zounds, Treadle, why must you be so cursed jealous? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's not just Zounds, it's, you know, he never quite puts his lips together whenever he's talking. He just talks with his, his teeth sort of out. <laughs> it's like... And he's always, he always looks like he's just getting ready to sit down. Yeah. You know, he just has that look where it's almost too much effort to stand up. I lo- and I you... love he's, what he says, you know, oh yes, it has something that, that, some, that has something and does something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> of course, you understand of course me. you do. 
Yes, of course you do. When yes. the, the women say, it rhymes, and he goes, oh, it's a poem. <laughs> it's like, yes, isn't it wonderful? It rhymes because it's a poem. Oh, he, and he, and in some of his sentences, he's like, oh, don't you know? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, so, yeah, he's really, he's really, an ex- it, this is where he shines as an actor. There, yeah. in the Parts where he's able to go from this obvious yearning for his wife, who he truly loves, to having to hide that from her mm-hmm. in literally just an instant. And you see it without any cuts in the movie. If yeah, he goes yeah. from reaching for her hand to, oh, yes, uh, you'll be very happy to know your brother will be oh, here. It's, it's mesmerizing <laughs> to kind of watch oh, him wonderful. because he will be this foppish and, oh, blah, blah. And then she'll turn her back. And instantly and you see melts. on his face how the the pain that you're talking yes. about, where it's just killing him to have to treat uh, this woman like this. I love it. I love it. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> should I stop saying I love it? I don't think I'm going to be No, able to. not at all. Let's talk about the Prince of Wales. <laughs> so we did mention this is His Highness uh, George the something or other. Sorry, Britain. Uh, sorry, England. <laughs> he, but he's played by Nigel Bruce. Mm-hmm. Which is a name that I recognized. I had to look it up. And he is the Watson to Basil Rathbone's Yes, homes. thank you. I just saw the name actually just pulling up the uh, the cash list. And they're like, oh, yeah, Nigel Bruce. Yeah, that's real familiar. Why does that seem familiar? The, and I love it. This yeah. is another character that if you know Nigel Bruce as Watson, he's, he's a little bit absent-minded. But he's this, like, stolid you know, Englishman, and as the Prince of Wales in this, he is, I think, a very, very close character of the of his namesake, of the character he's playing. He's a rotund dude, he's a womanizer, he has no opinions of his own, so he has to get, you know, clothing advice from his friend. Mm-hmm. And when somebody asks for his help, he says, uh, there's really nothing I can do about it because, you know, countries can do whatever they want inside their own borders. Right. But you don't – you wouldn't look at it and say, oh, that's Nigel Bruce. You'd be like, who – what – you would never recognize him. He's – Yeah, I was going to say I've seen the, the Sherlock Holmes. I've seen him as Watson. Mm-hmm. But watching this film – I. I would not have put it together. It, it wasn't usually when something like that happens. I'll see that someone and go, "Well, he seems really familiar. Who yeah. is that?" <laughs> you know, I'd have and make me kind of look him up to figure out what I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not the case. And now I kind of, I kind of see it. I hear, I hear it in his voice. His now. voice, you recognize, but yeah, you. It's another character. Where I, I, I feel like. The people in this movie, I love it because there are some good, there's some very well-known names in it, but you wouldn't, they're not just pigeonholed. The acting in it's not pigeonholed. So they didn't, you don't see any, any, none of the actors in it are, are acting in such a way that you're just like, oh yeah, they didn't quite get the character right because they were, mm-hmm. yeah, they were a little bit too much like this other character. But this is also a pretty early film for a lot of these people. Yeah, even Raymond Massey, who, you know, we've seen two films now where he's effectively the bad guy. (laughs) But, you know, honestly, in both films, he's the bad guy, but in both cases, he's the bad guy who thinks he's doing right. Right. Well, and this is only his fourth or fifth movie total, I think. This is very early in his career. Oh, really? Interesting. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, totally side note here, he played Sherlock Holmes three years before as well. Oh, did he? Was a Sherlock Holmes? In the Speckled Band. I, I know I've oh. seen it. Also, oh, 
gotta gotta sneak this one in in the prisoner of zenda he's black michael ah that's (laughs) 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 which of course has you know it's got david niven in it (laughs) of course douglas fairbanks jr and david niven and of course, Raymond Massey is Black Michael. Go see that movie; it's wonderful. Okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I can quickly turn myself into a Raymond Massey fan. I can oh. see myself kind of like saying, you know, starting to like ch- you ring the bells and go, "Why isn't there a Raymond Massey DVD collection?" Ra- you know? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, he's wonderful. He's really wonderful. Um, uh, sorry, so we'll move on. <laughs> I'm curious. So it, among the first people that we see rescued in this movie are the de Tournays. Uh, they're introduced right away when the Count de Tournay and his family, I love they just say and family, are called up for the guillotine and then he's pulled aside. But his daughter is played by Joan Gardner. And she, the name sounds super familiar to me. But I was curious if anybody else, if anybody else, Christopher, (laughs) if you found anything very interesting about her, she just seems super familiar, but I couldn't find anything that I'd seen her in. No, I'm afraid I, I, she didn't stand out to me. I I have no idea. Maybe she just has that face. Maybe, possibly. (laughs) And probably since there are so many Jones at this time, Joan Crawford, et cetera, um, right. Ava Gardner. I probably was mixing Joan Crawford and Ava Gardner together. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. That would be a heck of a mix. <laughs> There's, and she doesn't have much of a part. There's not much to say about her in this Yeah, movie. I was going to say, it, it, <laughs> I, I think because she, she only, you only see her appear uh, briefly towards the beginning there. I don't know you see her all that much throughout the rest of the film, do you? No. Maybe a, a she, couple she times. She shows up a few times. She's at the ball right. and has to dance with uh, uh, with Sir, Sir Andrew. But I was curious because it seems she's she's such a pretty face, but then she just sort of disappeared later mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Well, as far as pretty faces go, I think I was probably spending most of my time paying attention to Merle Oberon she's and not no, not gorgeous. noticing too many other pretty yeah. faces because she kind of if if she's on the screen, I don't care who else is there. You kind of have to look at her. She is fantastically beautiful. Uh, her counterpart in the 1982 version, interestingly, is um, is Jane Seymour. Oh, who, interesting. If you grew up watching Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman like I did, you're kind of like That's an interesting <laughs> choice. They both kind of have they both kind of have sort of an exotic look to their face. They that's, do. I, that's not a bad little bit of casting. Yeah. Well, and and even more, I mean, more interestingly, uh she just she's just so beautiful the way they 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 cast her in the light that they cast her in the 1982 film. She's mm. just beautiful and, and actually does give Merle Oberon a little bit of a run for her money in the beauty department. Wow. But I, I did, I really appreciated her portrayal of Lady Blakeney, Merle Oberon here. Um, I, she's, I love her contempt mm-hmm. for Blakeney when he comes in, but I also love her, um, her genuine quality at no point do you ever think this is a woman that really is secretly evil right <laughs> even though she's forced into to spying on sir andrew at a certain point and some other things happen she's she she just she most this quality of being an honest good person yeah, absolutely. Like I was saying, I mean, we find out that she was tricked into giving the names that led to the first family to go to the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And 
she has to live this life now that she actually despises with Blakeney. But you get the feeling, though, that she doesn't really do anything about. It. She doesn't. She doesn't have any you know dalliances on the side mm-hmm. or anything. And like she's that. not a jerk to him, which is really impressive because he is a total jerk. <laughs> He's an idiot. She, in fact, is extremely nice. It's like mm-hmm. she's trying everything she can to bring their old relationship back. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or at least finding some explanation as to, to why he has turned on her. And, yeah, she's just a good person. One thing that this movie doesn't show that I – it's interesting. I watched the 82 version because I was curious if I just loved this so much because of Leslie Howard's portrayal of Blakeney. And, and it is my favorite of the two. The the more recent version, though, expounds on some areas that this movie doesn't. It actually shows Blakeney bef- and um, I can't think of her first name. <laughs> um, Marguerite. Um, Marguerite. Thank you. It shows it shows Percy and Marguerite before they're married, and it portray- I love it because it sh- in this version with uh, Leslie Howard, you get the impression that maybe he wasn't always this foppish fop around Marguerite, right? Well, in the later version of it, they show them, and he is still this foppish fop. And it makes oh, you, yeah, it makes you wonder how could a woman this intelligent and this beautiful marry a man, no matter how rich he is, right. that acts like this? But yeah, see, that surprised me because I definitely got the impression from this film, and maybe there was no reason for it to give me this impression, but I got the impression that really he kind of went on the you know the full fop mm-hmm. well after. she says you changed can you yeah. can you say you didn't change um and and but i liked that they portrayed it in the late, later one as him being yeah he's foppish and he's silly but he's a little more genuine with her and he mm. he sort of teases everybody else but in private he's still foppish but he's he's very romantic Right. And he's very attentive. And so even though he's this foppish fop, he really is attentive and interested in her. And you can see how this incredibly intelligent woman could have been like, well... You know he he's silly and he he doesn't take anything seriously, but he really is interested in me. And you can mm-hmm. see how she would have been drawn into this relationship, not knowing that he's this incredible planner, you know, right. not knowing that he's this really genius, kind person that's trying to save all these people. Mm-hmm. So I I I am a little sad that you don't see any of that in this, but I think part of that is because the era that this movie was made in didn't need that. There wasn't right. the question of, will a woman feel fulfilled with a foppish fop? It was right. more, it's the 1930s, you get married or you're an old maid. So, yeah, of I course would, she's married. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see where does this intelligence, where does this planning, where does this, you know, where does a, a leader of the resistance come from in this individual Mm, the backstory now and interestingly for those of you that are curious there is an entire series of books about the scarlet pimpernel i did not know that yeah i I wasn't aware i thought it was just the one book but orsi did in fact write a whole series of books which i will probably be exploring you can listen to that on my other podcast i don't have another podcast (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i should have another podcast but i don't guys sorry uh whole book thing um but yeah i agree i think it'd be really interesting to find out too clearly you wouldn't expect that he acted like this from his childhood right exactly no that it has to come from something you can't be 
this type of individual your whole life and be able to go, oh, yes, but if I, I can do this great disguise and I can plan this, <laughs> and if we go this at this time, and then, you know, it just it doesn't work. But, but this is a baronet. This is a, an extremely high-ranking man. This is a man that would have been at court from the time that he was fairly young. He mm-hmm. would have known the prince from the time that they were both fairly young gentlemen. And so how did he come to this duel of personalities? Acquire I, I this knowledge and this yes. skill. Well, yeah. and he's intelligent. He says at some point that Andrew could, that folks couldn't, he couldn't even catch a ball or he couldn't throw a ball at Eaton. This is an, an educated, intelligent man, but he's, but then he's just completely shallow and vapid. So yeah, I, <laughs> I was thinking that I was thinking, I wish there was a book written about Marguerite who marries this guy. And then he's, turns out to be this foppish fop and then he turns out to be this incredibly intelligent kind hero like what a what a fantastic story that would be absolutely oh my hashtag writing goals oh, i'm so sorry i just <laughs> used that phrase but yeah seriously guy if you're looking for something to write there it is <laughs> after you do our five minute mystery after the five minute mystery dang it i was totally just thinking that too <laughs> Yeah, he is definitely the, you know, the, the, just the character. Uh, obviously, is supposed to be the star of the film, and Leslie Howard is the star of the film, and he does actually, he is the star of the film. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes, oh, yes. especially with these older films, they want to have uh, the name that's going to draw the most people on yes. the poster. Yes, and so they'll they'll put somebody's name first, even though he's only in the film for a few minutes. Or, yes. you know, and then like the real star is like third billing or something like that. <laughs> and you could definitely see where someone like Raymond Massey could really take this film over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, Leslie Howard, I think he he steals it. I, well, oh, or not yes. steals it, but he, he is Commands the star it. of this film. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's phenomenal. It's, again, it's, he is, if you had told me, oh yeah, Leslie Howard is in this movie, I would have been like, Oh, that that boring guy from Gone with the Wind. Well, it's even kind of a boring name. I mean, that's what's really kind of funny. <laughs> well, that's just harsh. <laughs> well, it's Leslie just a very... is a man and woman's name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love Percy. It's, okay, it's an unassuming. <laughs> there name. you go. It's not an. Yeah, he's he's not. Uh, I just it's based on every famous actor's name ever. <laughs> He doesn't have a really powerful name like Tom Selleck. Yeah, I mean, right. But but it was interesting to see uh, to see the 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 quality of his acting. I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some other fops if you're interested well, in seeing some more. <laughs> actually, I wanted to talk about you know we talked a little bit about the relationship between uh, 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 Sir Blakeney and Lady Blakeney. Yes. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Blakeney or the Scarlet Pimpernel. And and Chevelin. Yes, and Chauvin. Yes. Ch- Ch- how do you say it? Chevelin works for me, but it's a little manual labor. Chauvelin. <laughs> Chauvelin. 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 That's all right. I called him something else entirely earlier. Um, I called them they before. are brilliant together. I mean, they do the, the, the whole film <gasps> through this song and dance. You know, obviously, yes. uh, obviously, Chauvelin doesn't know the identity of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is it's a, just 
I it's just this name, and he's trying to find out. He's trying to get any information he can. He travels to England, he, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get uh, Lady Blakeney to yeah, you ask around in her circles to try to pinpoint who who this person is. Mm-hmm. And so it's a cat and mouse kind of thing. Uh. And even once he discovers the identity, it's still this really great. Well, you know, again, you know, the chess game we see early on in the film. And uh, I think uh, there's a very good reason that that chess game is I played. I didn't even put that together, film. but you're exactly right. Yeah. Yes. It is a chess match between these two. Mm-hmm. And both incredibly intelligent people, both very driven for their cause. Mm-hmm. Trying to and outmaneuver one another. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And even when they finally are faced off amongst each other and it looks like uh, yes. you know, it's it's the end you know some it's it's not it's not mate you know it's it's just check yeah <laughs> there's still a move again. to go i love the introduction of these two together and you kind of don't know if they've met before assumably assumingly they don't I said that mm-hmm. wrong, but you know what I mean. Presumably yes. they don't. There we go. They hadn't. But I love he walks in and he's, you know, and Blakeney's so complimentary. Oh, the French, they speak that impossible to speak language. And yes. so, you know. Just, yeah, that's how intelligent they are because they can speak they that can't, language. That impossible language. And they've got such wonderful heads on their shoulders until you get to the neck. <laughs> and then look at this cravat. It's just limp. <laughs> <laughs> I and I love it as he's describing it. the front goes in the back and the back goes in the front otherwise you'd have the back in the front and the front goes backwards and you do see what I mean don't you and I love the little smile that Chauvelin gets where he's like this guy's a total idiot <laughs> he's just like yeah I totally get what you're saying you're a oh. moron <laughs> yeah. and it's, and it's it. so much fun for us the audience because so we know fun. Blakeney is just playing oh, with him. It's lovely. It's so great. I knew I was going to say lovely at some point during this <laughs> recording. It, it, it really is. They, and it happens more than once when they go to the ball. He he uh, says, oh, look at you. Aren't you clever? You learned how to tie a cravat. You, oh, uh, and the way, way Chauvelin steps back real quick. <laughs> and he when reaches he... for it and he steps back. I love it. He says, oh, no, an Englishman wouldn't even... Oh, you, what does he say? You, we wouldn't be able to tell you from an Englishman. He says, oh, that's quite a compliment from an Englishman. <laughs> that's really a compliment from the English. There, I love how you've got this, this undercurrent of nationality. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we know, of course, that the French and English have been at war forever up to this point, you know. And I love, though, that they're, they're friends... Right, but they're yeah. not friends. No, and <laughs> they're gentlemen is what they are. And even <laughs> I love when Prince George. I th- I love it when he says it. Oh gosh, what is it he says? Uh, he says we should try to forget the government that sent you and think of you merely as a private gentleman. <laughs> when yes, he's, when he's talking to Chauvelin, and it's like everybody. You have to admire Chauvelin in this situation. He is there specifically for the purpose of blackmailing Lady Blakeney. Mm-hmm. But and everybody around him hates him. But they are all gentlemen. Yes. Nobody's I mean, going to yeah, start he's fighting. There. He's there to arrest, <laughs> you know, their hero. Yes, but they're not going to treat him badly because it's not how it's done. Right, my good fellow. He, that's just not what's done. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, <Zounds>. because <laughs> because yeah, because just like what the what the prince said, you know, he's there. On behalf of you know a government, mm-hmm. he's there doing his job. 
He's that a, doesn't make him <laughs> a bad person. We're going to pretend we don't realize that you're related to these people that we all hate. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so great. That's I, and that's that is characteristic of the era. Again, mm-hmm. you know, oh, absolutely. that's where that whole terminology of, you know, gentlemen's disagreement and all that sort of thing comes from. Oh, that yes. sort of thing. <laughs> My, don't I sound foppish? Oh, that wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I think some of my favorite or one of I think my favorite scene between these two is Siobhan finally thinks that he has Blakeney. There's no escape. And we honestly, I, honestly, I thought, oh, this is one of those films, you mm-hmm. know, where this doesn't Tale end happily cities. for the hero. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was the best of times or worst of times. Mm-hmm. You really thought that that was coming. Mm-hmm. And and it, I mean, Blakeney looks like he's okay. You know, he's he's kind of surrendered. Like, I'll, I'll stay here. I'll walk out and step in front of your firing squad as long as you let my wife go. And, and he messes with him all the time. I love that. Uh, right. if I, oh, if I drop this there's match, a, we'll all blow up. Yeah, oh, yeah just he kind of plays wine. with him and he's like, no, I'm just kidding. There's no, there's no gunpowder. Yes. Uh, but he goes on and he, uh, he starts quoting a poem. You like poetry, Monsieur Chauvelin? That damned elusive pimpernel. No. No, I mean uh, poetry. This other Eden, demi-paradise. This fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war. This happy breed of men, this little world. This precious stone set in the silver sea. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm. This England. Oh, damn me, I forget the rest. It just, it looks like a man defeated. It really works really well for us watching. It's like, oh, (gasps) oh, it's one of those kind of films. But like I said, Mm -hmm. there's still a move left on this game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I was like, oh, nicely done. Even in this moment, Percy is setting up Chauvelin because he says, do you like poetry? And through the whole thing, he's been quoting this ridiculous poem. Oh, it's awful! Yes, <laughs> that's so. I, the, oh, it's it's so bad. But I love how every time he introduces it, he says "The Scarlet Pimpernel" by Sir Blakeney, Baronet, and everybody laughs. <laughs> and he's like, "That's just the title," <laughs> and then he gives it. But I love that he asks at this moment. You know, he's this whole time he's been spreading around this ridiculous poem, and he says, "Do you like poetry?" Like, oh, not that Chauvin Pimpernel says, oh, like, oh, not that again. He's like, no, no, this is a real poem. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then he starts to give that whole, it is a far, far better thing I go to. <laughs> far better thing I do than I've ever done. And you're like, God, I'm going to hate the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've always kind of bounced around spoilers, but I guess I've kind of already kind of given away quite a bit and everything too. But the very fact that in the end of it all, and Blakeney once again gets the upper hand, he doesn't kill Siobhan. Yes. He's like, well, he just makes sure he's out of the way long enough for them to escape. Well, yeah, because that's it's, it's not what he wouldn't do that. Right. It's, no it's, gentleman. It's, no gentleman would, would just kill, kill an innocent, man. yeah, an unarmed oh, man. An unarmed man, yeah, not innocent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like in the 82 version, he references, he says, the, the, the just thing to do is to leave you to the um, to Robespierre for your failure. 
basically mm. to leave you right. to answer to your superiors for, you know, failing at your job, basically. Right. I don't I don't think he mentions that in this, but No, he does not. He just kinda of, they just put him in a hole. Such a gentleman. <laughs> they put him in a, in a basement. He's like just a little <laughs> nap to give in to you know, give it to give us time to, to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the thirties. Speaking of the thirties, how about those dresses? A what? Yes. <laughs> uh, there, the dresses there is not are... an unattractive woman, apparently, in England in and the 1790s. Also, there is not a woman in England in 1790s dressed like any of these women. No. The costuming in this is straight up 1930s. So great. It's very beautiful. Really, really beautiful. But uh, if you guys are going to dress in proper 18th century clothing, please don't wear what she's wearing. Evening no. gowns were not on mode at this time. <laughs> Interesting. It's completely off. And even the, sil- oh, the silhouettes, I'm sorry, I'm going to get into some like excessively things here. But no, this is not, if you guys are going and you're watching the, the new Jane Austen movies, this is that time period. You've got the A-line dresses with the really straight columnular skirts. And so uh, it's always uh, it's so much fun to look at this. So in the 1930s, you still have what you see today if you're watching Rain or anything like that. All the dresses are really modern dresses that are supposed to be historical, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing in the 1930s. We don't realize it because we don't know what 1930s fashion looks like as opposed to 1790s fashion. But everything they're wearing is wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Except the gentleman. So that's an interesting. That's interesting. It's still interesting to me. Um, Why do you suppose they do that? Is it is it to get butts in the seat? It I is mean, to is get it the sex the appeal? Seat. Oh, yeah. yes. Did you notice her low cut gown? <laughs> I did. I believe there's a quote. <laughs> I, saw a, I, I saw a little bit of trivia in here. That the uh, motion picture producers and distributors of America admonished the film, saying there is cleavage in real one, there oh, is cleavage in real four. Yes, I remember there that. There is gross cleavage in real eight. <laughs> I wouldn't call it gross. She looks great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but yeah, there is quite, and it's funny because it's not risque. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not by our standards, not by modern standards at all. This right. is G-rated. Um, but yes, this is not the modest styles of the 1700s by any means. And they showed a lot of bust back then, but they didn't hmm. show any lower rib cage. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting. There's a credit in this film. Uh, the, the designer of her costumes is Oliver. I'm sorry, I have to look it up. I can't think of his name. Art department, sound department, special effects, visual effects, costume. There we go. Oliver Messel does the dress designer for Miss Merle Oberon. And I, you know, you see it today where you see costumes by or you see um, wardrobe, you know, for Mr. So-and-so or driver to Miss So-and-so. But I hadn't noticed a credit for a dress, for a specific dress designer for a character before. So I looked him up and Oliver Messel, it turns out, is it was a hugely famous set designer and costume designer during this era. He did a lot for the ballets. And uh, apparently, as far as I can understand, he did some interior design. As far as I can understand, it was actually a little bit uncommon for him to do 
film, just one specific character in a film. So this movie has an extremely well-known designer doing just her dresses. So you will see like in the, in the ballroom scene, all the other ladies, their, their outfits are a bit more period and hers are just not even close. The fabric is all swishy and, and see through. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else's are kind of stolen with that typical uh, early 1800s silhouette. But hers are just low plunging 1930s ball gowns with these really fabulous designs on them. It's interesting, though, because it is actually a really no- well-known designer. It's worth looking him up. I His yeah. sketches and there is some there are some other costumes out by him. They're really he's worth looking up. It's really interesting. Man, oh, I think so. One other thing that I really wanted to mention, and this is yeah, go ahead. This is actually, if you guys haven't watched this uh, movie yet, obviously I'm going to recommend that you do. I I giggled through it, most of it, I think, <laughs> but there are a few different versions out there. You can watch it on Prime. Uh, is it Prime? Yeah, uh, the Prime. Yes, I think it's both. Uh-huh. There is a version of it on Prime. Uh, there are a couple of versions of it out on YouTube, but the clearest version I saw is actually it says this on YouTube and it says best quality and it actually is a very clear picture of it. If you go to the one on Prime, you're going to get a very fuzzy, grainy one. Mm-hmm. But if you typically, I wouldn't recommend that you go to YouTube to watch mo- full length movies. But in this particular instance, it is, I think, the best quality that you can find of it. Uh, when I was looking for uh, one to put up on our YouTube channel, I was trying to find. Well, I suppose a, I should say decent. go to ours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to go to YouTube, go to ours. Yeah, we're going to. But I did. I think I did uh, find one of pretty good quality. Mm-hmm. It is a really crisp. Uh, edition mm-hmm. so look for that if you start watching one in it it looks like you're looking through a, a sheet of blurry fabric right. find a better version there are a couple out there it's worth it for the facial expressions Every, oh yeah the nuance absolutely. is yeah if, absolutely if you want it, if you it really want to get everything that leslie howard has mm-hmm. to offer in this film you have uh, to have a clear version yeah of it. Mm-hmm. and absolutely. it's worth it 100 percent worth it i'm gonna go back and watch this again i actually we started mm-hmm. watching it and, and my husband actually wants to know how it ends because we didn't finish <laughs> oh, it <laughs> well, that says something for you there yep. it's a black and white film and typically i don't get him interested in a lot of those but he's really interested in the storyline on this one i, I still i keep going back to the storyline of this story is genius. There, it's got. It just feels like, even though it's got some things that we're a little more familiar with now—the hero, the secret identity—you know, it's got the frustrated marriage, but it handles all of those things in a really, like, it's very soulful. It's very heartfelt, but it's also lighthearted and just so entertaining. So uh, it's just the story itself is handled extremely well in this movie. And the story itself is just phenomenal to watch. Right. Yeah, the acting uh, of some of the characters really definitely saved it for me. I think a little bit of my my own expectation originally kind of um, took me out of the film a little bit. Like I was saying, I expected it to be a little bit more of an adventure film. Oh, uh-huh. I was expecting it more. I was I was looking for Zorro. Yes, you know, <laughs> I thought there was going to be daring escapes and sword fights and that well, sort of thing. Are. I really thought that was the type <laughs> they're of just, film. They're just low key. <laughs> <laughs> they're just dressed up as old women instead of jumping out of windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, so it took me a while to like, oh, so this isn't gonna be that way you know and uh but uh, no the acting in the film does make it 
definitely helps make up for that. I think, I think. I think there's a lot of cleverness in it too. Yeah, it's not. And I, I think I'll, I'll go back. You said you were going to watch it again. I think I'll probably go back and watch it again. Now having that expectation erased, mm-hmm. I think I will go back and watch it again. Um, just to, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this will be my third watch of it. And then oh, I'm going to go back and watch the 82 version again. Uh, if you're comparing them, you will find that, um, oh, I've spaced on his name. The Alan, is it Alan? It's Anthony Andrews who plays Blakeney in the new one. Uh, and Ian McKellen plays Chauvelin, by the way. Interesting. Oh, yes. So I didn't even mention that before, but worth mentioning for sure. Uh, you'll find that Sir Blakeney in the 82 version, he shatners a little. Uh. And it's a little irritating, but it is the character that he's playing. So just as a heads up, it, it is less irritating as the movie progresses. And I think that they explore the relationships in some ways that aren't explored in this movie. So it's worth a watch. Um, I will certainly be going back and watching it again. Uh, but this one is one that I, I, after the first watch of it, I was pretty sure this is going to be one of my new favorites. Nice. So I guess with that, we'll find out exactly how much of a favorite. <laughs> and we'll put some, let's, we'll put some <laughs> let's put some offals on this. Good God, we should, shouldn't we? So I'm pretty sure I went first last time, so you are definitely up. Oh, well, sink me if I don't think it's a five offal movie. What? <laughs> certainly <laughs> certainly it's a damn good film uh no i i i can't not there, there's nothing about this that is so bad that it detracts <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's so much about it that's so good that I pretty much, uh, I can't think, I'm sure there's another movie I've given five othels to. I know they're a bit f- few and far between a little bit, but yeah. this is one, I can't think of another one that I would say you should watch instead of this one. Uh, partly because, of course, I love historical things, in case we didn't know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also, also, I think it's a classic storyline that, it's a storyline that introduced us to a new type of hero. Yes. And he is, he he's hilarious. I think, especially Leslie Howard, the way he portrays him. Uh, the 82 version of it, he's an inter- certainly an interesting hero. But the way Leslie Howard portrays him, even when he's this foppish, the most foppish fop that ever fopped, uh, he still <laughs> is sort of likable. Like, he, he's not ever really truly mean-spirited and so you have i think all the characters in it are really who they should be you the people that are innocent are innocent without being overly angelic uh the people that are good are it's still soulful and they're still genuine without being you know stiff or cardboardy and the people that are the bad guys are they're just evil enough that you really want to dislike them, which is exactly what you need. Um, the production in it is solid. The dialogue is excellent. I think the only movie that I can think of off the top of my head that has a better dialogue is probably The Lady Eve. And that's a huge, huge compliment to this movie. Uh, it just So yeah, they, it may require a little... <laughs> I need to preface this. Again, this takes place in my favorite historical era. So I apologize if I'm over over fluffing it a little bit for you. 
<laughs> even if it weren't, though, the characters themselves, even if it were set in a different time period, I think the characters are really worth a good old watch. Excellent. So it's a five for you. Five then. So for me. A, a perfect run out and watch this film. I yeah. It, it, I just I just can't think of a reason not to. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm I'm actually I'm actually gonna go ahead and and, and match your score for, oh, for on this one. I can't uh, believe we agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, but is this a I first? do. I, no, I do. This is a second. I think. <laughs> yeah, but I I have to preface. Uh, preface mine, you know, with a little bit of a caveat. <laughs> I think this is an absolutely a film you need to watch if you're a fan of this type of character. I mean, oh. like if you're a fan of Zorro and Batman, oh, I mean, okay. you need to see, you need to see where it all began. Mm. Mm-hmm. And don't go into it like I did, expecting <laughs> to see the Zorro and the Batman or whatever. Because mm-hmm. if you do, you may find yourself a little bit bored. Mm-hmm. But absolutely go into this expecting amazing acting and amazing actors. And intrigue. Not yeah, not with, adventure with, as much as intrigue. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel guilty that we've kind of spoiled so much of mm-hmm. it. Um, because there is so much fun to watch. I mean, even just mentioning the... The relationship between the Blakeneys mm-hmm. and and everything, I feel like, is almost a spoiler. I, I I feel bad that we have now, you know, maybe have robbed people of seeing that for the first mm-hmm. time. <laughs> that is the one thing that the eighty two version does, ex- like extremely better than the thirty four version, is that they conceal the truth about their relationship longer, and and it there is a bit of a bit of worry involved in it. So that is the one thing I think that that exceeds that for sure. I also, I told my husband, if I had, if you had come into this movie and Blakeney's personality, the whole time was the fop, I would have hated him. Like I would have hated the guy. Yeah. You need to know that it's an act. You need to know that. And he's incredibly intelligent behind it all. Uh, So it's, uh, Yeah. There's there are a little bit of there's some warning involved in watching this. I think uh, I can't watch What About Bob. <laughs> some people think it's hilarious. I just want to kill the guy the whole time. <laughs> but you know, some people love it. So fair warning, I guess. If he if a fault yeah, makes I, you crazy, <laughs> this yeah. may not be the movie for you. <laughs> yeah, this is not a film for absolutely anybody uh certainly you know maybe there are many younger audiences that would find this yeah. incredibly boring if your favorite movie is transformers this is not the yeah, movie for not, you not the film for you <laughs> no but if you are interested in some really great storytelling with some actors really portraying some very interesting character uh then absolutely check this film out yeah i agree and uh, again not the most accurate of uh of wardrobes, <laughs> but you know, let's 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 be honest here. Hollywood almost never gets it right. All right, well, and I guess that's going to do it for the Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, Lydia. I'm so glad you enjoyed this film. Oh, um, I am too. <laughs> it is it is such a treat when we bring a film to the table that is just you know this well liked, um, and and really this well liked between both of us. Yeah, um, it really is. It really is, and rare. Extremely yeah, yeah. rare. <laughs> well, and, and I'll admit that 
I watched this film and the um, the score I gave it kind of kept growing the more I thought about it. <laughs> I think if you watch it again as well. Uh, yes, yeah. And, and, and maybe a little bit that is going into it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, sitting here talking about it and then I start realizing, yeah, you're right. That is some really astounding performance, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah. And it's like I was saying, I need to watch it again without the expectation that I went into <laughs> it the first time. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, we have that experience a lot where we start talking about something that really crystallizes. It either brings the, the, the rating way up for us or way down for us just through yes, the process yes. of talking about it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm super pleased that we found one. I think the last couple, we've had a, a couple of stinkers recently and our ratings have, have uh, reflected that. And this is not one. I think that's going to do it. Uh, just remind everybody, orphanentertainment at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us, whether, you know, email, uh, send us a little uh, MP3 or something if you want to, you know, hear your voice on the podcast. <laughs> I'll be happy to play it. Uh, we are still looking for the five-minute mystery script. We'd be really look- we are really looking forward to producing that for you. It would be monstrous and, uh, kind of you to send one over. Zounds. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do it with Regency slang, oh my, no, I don't even That's go true. That you want to put your five minute mystery into the 1790s? In the 1790s. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, no time period is off the uh, off the table. That is you true. Know. We hadn't mentioned that, I think. It could be any mystery from any era. <laughs> That's right. In the future, in the past, modern, you know. Alternate reality, like. yeah. Yeah, alternate <laughs> reality. <laughs> and then, yes, the the Facebook group and the YouTube channel and all the other good stuff that I mentioned at the top of the podcast. So that's going to do it. Lydia, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Christopher. It is always fun. Uh, we will talk to everybody next month. Bye, all. Bye. The thing rhymes, you see, in four places. And if you can get a, a rhyme to rhyme, that um, makes it a poem, if you follow me. <laughs> yes, of course, but what is it? The Scarlet Pimpernel by Sir Percy Blakeney Barony. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's only the name. <laughs> they seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in... <laughs> that dimmed, elusive Pimpernel. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a poem. <laughs> they seek him here, they seek him there. Those Those men, see see him him everywhere. Everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in? <laughs> 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 <laughs>